From beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-seeing Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by immigration attorney Kelly Fennell, former talk show host and now lobbyist Mays Jackson, and in our second hour, we'll be joined by Todd Benjamin. He is an investigative journalist at the Center for Immigration Studies. He was with us a couple of weeks ago. Got a lot of positive response from it. So we will have him back in our stream of our broadcast. But I want to begin. I will have a show coming to you tonight. Reported as we have no phone calls. Coming to you from the studio. Staying What do you want to say? I want to begin this evening by by taking the through chapter verse with an immigration attorney who is going to explain the, the various reactions of the legal as to how different populations are being treated when they come to the country. Because I think there's a lot of confusion that when you talk about illegal immigration, everybody sort of goes to the hospital. Hey, I may Jackson is going to be sharing that interview as well. Uh, Kelly Fennell, welcome back to Beyond the Welfare. It's nice to have you with us. And, and, and let me begin with you by talking about uh, the difference of your practice between uh, asylum seekers and those that I would describe are illegal immigrants. They're here, they're illegally, uh, but or illegal, but they're not technically under the asylum seeker banner. Uh, can you d- delineate for us? Um, I can try. So when you're talking about immigrant populations, whether it's, you know, asylum seekers or people who are undocumented, um, it's a really diverse population. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about the undocumented in the United States, I mean, the vast majority of them didn't cross the border without inspection. Rather, they overstayed their visas after entering legally and then remained in the United States. When you're talking about asylum seekers, I mean, people do have a legal right to present themselves at a border and seek protection. Um, seeking asylum is a legal process. It's so is so is an asylum seeker someone that is following existing U.S. law. I mean, if you present yourself at a port of inspection and right now with a CBP one appointment, which I can talk about um, in a little bit, I mean that's a legal right. Someone has the right to do that. How do you how, um, how do you get on that list? to sit down with someone from the U.S. government and answer questions. And that person has a a lot of power to decide whether someone uh, has told a good story or a bad story. And how does that process work? So that process has been really complicated. It's an app called CBP-1. One, it assumes that you have a smartphone and access to that with a good signal. And then everyone even an entire family, each individual needs their own appointment. And there are several circumstances in which after months and months of trying, maybe for a family of five, one or two people get an appointment and then the rest of them don't. And then there was also a huge issue with CBP rolling out the program and they, for whatever reason, you have to take a selfie and the app would not recognize Haitians or people of color um, that were dark skinned. I know, right? Shocking. But at that process, Kelly, I just want to make sure because this is the first process 
uh, part of the process where some uh, legal representative of the United States is asking these people questions. And you say there's now a backup. If there's five people in a family, there's five different appointments. How many lawyers if they're are available? How many lawyers are currently at that influx process? Because it seems to me we probably so, need a hundred times more. You don't have a right to counsel during that process. Because um, if you think about it, if you're not admitted to the United States properly, your right to counsel guaranteed under the U.S. Constitution doesn't attach. So, I mean, there are NGOs and people assisting. Um, Alo Trolalo, for example, is a very popular one that does amazing work um, down on the border, but they can only do so much. And often CBP will flat out refuse, refuse to speak with attorneys when they're dealing with that stage of the process. Hmm. Mace Jackson and, joins us. Mace, I want to get your reaction from, uh, you, you obviously have a close ear and eye on, on the African-American community. Uh, how much do they talk about this issue? I should mention for those around the country, because Chicago has been on the, on the receiving side of, you know, three to five buses a day. And within the African-American and Hispanic communities in Chicago, there is growing frustration with this new population. They're not being welcomed with open arms. They're not, there's no spirit of uh, sanctuary city with them. At least that's what I'm seeing on television. And I'm wondering from you, uh, Maze, how widespread is that, that anger and frustration? You know, Bruce, uh, I think, first of all, thanks for having me today. Um, I think that across the black, the and I, you say the African-American, I say the black community. Um, I think there is a tremendous amount of pushback. Uh, I think, one, there is the first part where they are dropping these migrant shelters, what appeared initially to be particularly in black communities. Um, and then this population is not integrated. They don't speak the language. And I think there's also a feeling in the black community that there's already a competition for resources and we've already been on the bottom end of that. And now with this new population being deposited in our neighborhoods, they are now seemingly getting resources and getting opportunities and things that the black community wants specifically, especially right now at a time when the, the discussion of reparations is so high on our priority. And I think uniquely, uh, black people have a lot less sympathy towards the immigrant migrant story because that's not really our story. Is that in your view, is that a significant Achilles heel for the Democratic Party that that's that that keep keeping their minorities, you know, in sync and in, in touch with each other? And when I say minority, I mean the black community and the Hispanic community is have uh, have they reached the point where they're not going to be able to sell that narrative anymore? You know, I don't know. if it, it, So <laughs> let me just say this as a black man in Illinois, I don't think that you can probably ever separate the Democratic Party from black folks here locally. But I would say that nationally, there is a there is a lot of questions about how responsive has the Democratic Party been to black voters that have been unflinching in their side. And as they watch this immigrant situation happen, it seems like they're being leap, we're being leapfrogged again by the Democratic Party. Kelly, I want to come back to you about this process because I think you, you avoided or sidestepped my question. The, 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 number of, the number of attorneys that are currently in the pipeline to work with these uh, would-be U.S. citizen, at least applicants, um, 
they seem to be overwhelmed. So we, do we need a hundred times oh, yeah. more lawyers at that level to deal with them, to process them? I mean, I, like I said, Bruce, I haven't been down to the border in a while, um, probably pre-COVID. Um, but I mean, of course, there's always a need, right? Everyone's overwhelmed today. And that's in any organization, any line of work. And also uh, the uh, many of the, the, the lawyers uh, who, who began maybe as volunteers and goodness out of their hearts, that they're running out of time and space as well. So there's more, there's a need in that area for representation. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the differences of these various the populations that are trying to get into the United States. I'm Bruce Dumont. This is a recorded edition of Beyond the Beltway. Thanks for joining us tonight. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Bruce and Montpac, we continue with Kelly Fennell and with Mamie Jackson. And uh, Kelly, uh, uh, I want to go back to you again and take us through this, uh, this process because uh, the other part of this that people in the United States who have uh, who are waiting for the adjudication uh, by the Department of Government and others that, that go before a judge and the judge says, okay, you can stay or you've got to be deported. So my next question to you is, when someone is being deportable, how quickly does it take them to be deported? Um, that depends on if you're talking about somebody in custody and has to fight their case out while on the and a person who is actually out um, and pursuing their case on the non-detained docket. Non-detained docket can take anywhere from two years to 10 years. Um, I've got a case that will hopefully go to full hearing this month that, ha that has been in process since 2015. So this is, an, this is another case where the backlog is caused by a lack of judges to rule on these cases. Right, well, and then we also had, you know, COVID wreaking havoc Right. Immigration. We didn't really establish WebEx very quickly in immigration court. Yeah. Um, and we were running at less than half capacity for several years. No, so but what, well, I guess I guess what I'm getting to, worse. Kelly, is is in this discussion, it, most of the discussion appears to be, uh, again, from a Republican or conservative perspective. Let's get more Border Patrol. We need more Border Patrol. We need more enforcement. And what I'm hearing or what I'm, I guess I'm not really hearing from you or others is a, a similar uh, frustration that, by God, we need more lawyers. Is, right, or, but or you is don't that have just, a... Is that, is that just it, a very unpopular position to tell the general public you want more lawyers? Because a lot of people don't nobody like Nobody wants to fund it, Bruce. That's the problem. Nobody okay. wants to fund it. Immigration proceedings are civil. They are not criminal. You do not have the right to counsel. So if all of the local CBOs and nonprofits don't have the capacity to take on any more cases, there are no public defenders. Okay. So Mays, Mays has got another follow-up. I, I got a question. So who? So that's the immigration court. Who decides if you're truly an asylum seeker, and how is that determined? Because I don't. How is that determined? That's a good question. Um, so when someone presents himself at a border and says. I'm afraid to go back to my home country. Um, what two, one of two things happens. One, they could be detained and then they're put through a credible fear interview. And that is a process in which a person sits down with a trained asylum officer. They go through everything and all the facts of their case. And then the officer determines whether or not they have a possible claim of asylum or whether or not they do not. And they should be expeditedly removed from the country. We we um, had we had a guest here last week a couple of weeks ago on the program, and uh, she was alleging that a lot of NGOs that are involved in this process, they like to work with this population to prepare them to give them the right answers to give to the oh, asylum God. investigators. Does that exist? So, so I mean, okay, that's a loaded question. Thank right? you. So whenever you're, whenever you're preparing a case, you have to focus on the elements, right? What do I need to prove? And in asylum cases, one of the most important things is the nexus requirement, which is why, right? 
people who are just generalized victims of violence don't get asylum. You have to prove that that harm you're going to suffer is on account of a protected ground. And a lot of people have trouble articulating like that. So elaborate that, if you will, Kelly, elaborate a little more by what you mean for that. Because there's a lot of people listening or watching this program this evening that may live in certain sections of the United States in inner cities. They feel fearful. They don't want to go out of their houses <laughs> because there's gang violence. There's people are being shot every you know night in Chicago. I mean, what what sort of story does someone coming from El Salvador or Nicaragua have to tell about how things are different or the same as some neighborhoods of the United States? These aren't just stories. These are people going through going through unspeakable things. I'm not to say that unspeakable things don't happen in the United States, but you have to prove that the harm you're going to suffer is on account of your religion, your race, nationality, ethnicity, political opinion, or membership in a, in a particular social group, which um, that's kind of a broad term um, a lot. For example, um, the LGBTQI cases, those fall in underneath the particular social group category, for example. I am, to I am told that when you mention uh, LBGTQ individuals, that that's, that's the key word to drop early in your interview, because if you acknowledge that, that you're in that uh, protected class, coming from a country where there is a history of brutality and, and, and discrimination against them, that gets you a stamp of approval and you get into the country quickly. Would you acknowledge that? It's not that? guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. And then they also do go through what are called the persecutor bar in the background checks. And tell me more about that. Who is involved in, so in investigating? Again, you, you, you get somebody that comes before you, they're telling a horrible story and, and, and maybe the tears are starting to flow because it's such a horrible story. But how do you go and, and, and find out whether that person is telling you the truth or not? So they're going to be questioned at various bases throughout this process, right? The credible fear interview is just a threshold. And everything they say and everything you say follows you through the entire life of your immigration file, all the way from your credible fear interview, even up into and including your citizenship. So constantly you have USCIS or the government attorneys trying to poke holes in your story and determine whether or not you're telling the truth. And it, and it from from the first interview, for five ten years later, they can still come back and say, okay, on such and such a date, you said that you were uh, you 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 were raped, uh, or your children were beaten, or your husband you know was murdered by the local police, uh, in that country, and and if if any one of those stories turns out to be false, at any time during the process, the government can come down and basically pull them out and say, you know what. You're a, this is a false request, and we're going to send you back. Is that correct? I mean, essentially, yeah. simplifying it, yes. And if you do file a frivolous asylum claim, you're permanently barred from getting almost any sort of immigration relief in the United States with the exception of CAT. Um, and those are for people who are guaranteed to be tortured if they return. So, I mean, our office is very careful. I know... The immigrant community, attorney community in Chicago is very careful to make sure everything's true and correct. And USCIS, the asylum office, even does background checks. I have 
Afghan cases for people who helped the U.S. military who had to wait over a year from the date of their interview just for the background checks to come back. One, one follow-up question. Uh, Donald Trump has said in recent days that if he's reelected, he's going to come down hard on deportation. He's going to make, he's going to go, go, go out of his way to deport people. How realistic is that given at least the, the process as you know it to work? I mean, we did see deportations ramp up under Trump, and we saw more people be putting in deportation proceedings. Actually, most of the a lot more permanent residents were put in deportation proceedings under Trump. And it was frustrating because what he essentially did, too, is took away discretion from all of, like, the trial attorneys, which are the DHS attorneys, or our form of the prosecutor, even though they're not technically prosecutors. Um, and that created the increased backlog and mess that we still have at immigration court today. Didn't Obama do the same thing? Wasn't he referred to as the deporter-in-chief by many Latino leaders? He was, but we saw more people in lawful status, like permanent residents being put in removal proceedings under Trump. Mm -hmm. And at least under the Obama administration, there was this idea of discretion where the judges were free and the prosecutors were free to prioritize their docket, whereas under the Trump administration, everyone was a priority. Okay, Mays. So, so when do asylum seekers go back? And the reason I ask this is because, and because and I, I think there's differences in the asylum seekers. I think you mentioned the Afghan asylum seekers. Then there are the people that are coming up from Venezuela, else from the coming up from South South America and up through, and are now being deposited. They got to they did they, have they passed through the uh, asylum process? So now they're on a bus and coming home. Have they already been approved? when they come to Chicago, yes. and then when do they go back? Um, good question. So as you pointed out, the asylum seeker population is extremely diverse. And um, one thing um, one thing that we are seeing too that ICE does is lose a lot of paperwork. So if someone's released from detention before they get that credible fear interview, which sometimes does happen if you run out of space, if ICE loses the paperwork, they could be waiting months and months and months for their credible fear interview but, but to even get into removal but, proceedings. Okay, so that's the, I get that part, but I'm trying to understand the people that have gotten through, the people that are now on buses and being bused from Governor Abbott and from Texas and are now the manifest says Chicago. The people that are flying in from other places and that are landing in the says Chicago that are now sleeping, have they been approved as asylum? seekers, i.e. they get to stay, infi not infinitely, but indefinitely? Or so are they in everyone, a process? So not everyone is in the same process, right? Like, I mean, up until October, up through October 6th, there were about 13,500 people bused from Texas to Chicago. All of them are not in the same procedural place. I mean, some of the Venezuelans have applications for legal status pending that is an asylum. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk more about the Venezuelans and uh, why we're going out of our way to make sure that they get work permits. What happens to those people that are waiting for work permits? What's happening with them? I'm Bruce Dumont, along with Mays Jackson tonight, our guest in studio. Uh, we're talking to Kelly Fennell. We'll be back shortly. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? 
No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with this recorded edition of uh, Beyond the Belt. We thank you very much for joining us tonight. In our next hour, uh, we're going to be joined by Todd Benzman. Uh, he is with the Center for Immigration Studies. He's an investigative journalist. He's written never, a number of books, including America's Covert Border War. I'll listen to this with the subtitle. The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration. It's one of the hot topics in the country today. Who's coming into this country? How many of those are on a, a watch list? And how many cells are being created in the United States from people around the world that want to do harm to the United States? And that's, that's one of the Again, continuing the confusing aspects of this big issue of the legal immigration, which we're trying to clarify for you this evening. I don't know whether we're making things easier or more difficult, but again, it is a complicated process. 
And uh, I want to let each of our guests sort of take a moment to introduce themselves, and then we'll go back to our conversation. Let's start with Kelly Fennell. Kelly, a little bit about your background. Hi, um, my name is Kelly Fennell. I'm a partner in the Immigration Practice Group at Hughes Sokol Pierce Resnick and Dim. I'm also the lobby co-chair for the the Chicago chapter of the American Immigration Lawyers Grocers Association. I've been actively involved in the immigrant community since 2009. Okay. And Mays Jackson. Mays? Uh, Mays Jackson, uh, owner, uh, principal of the Intelligence Group, a public affairs and lobbying firm. Uh, previously, I was the host of the Mays Jackson Morning Show, so I still tinker around with the podcast a little bit. Uh, and then I am a proud father and husband, and I got to give a big shout out to my wife, President Carrie K. Steele of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation Very District. Very good. Well, c- congratulations uh, on everything, and uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, I, I want to go back to um, you, Kelly, and uh, since this has become obviously such a huge political divisional uh, issue in the country for a long time, in your heart, do you think the Republicans and the Democrats want to solve this problem? No. Okay. Is 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 the creation of the, of the process, is that not a perfect example of, because what you're describing, and Mays and I, we're trying to follow along, and this seems to be a real cocked up idea from the beginning, and, and, and now oh, you're getting mess. into the process. I mean, how did get, how did the process get so screwed up and who's responsible for it? I mean, so we haven't had an immigration overhaul since 1996. Um, so if you think about it, that's a long time ago. A lot's changed in the world. So our system in and of itself is outdated. Um, in addition, it's just grown as such that I don't think the system has the capacity to actively deal with the cases that are pending. For example, February as of February 2023, now there are more. There are more than 640,000 asylum cases pending with just the asylum office. That doesn't even include immigration court. And the backlog keeps giving get bigger and bigger. And I think it's become so politicized that both sides would rather often use this as a pawn versus actually sitting down and coming to a reasonable agreement as to how to fix this. I mean, in the classic example of this is what's going on with the dreamers. Elaborate. So, I mean, you have these dreamers who are children who are brought to the United States when they were young, have no criminal record, either graduated from high school or were honorably discharged from the military, um, who come out, report, pay taxes, have work permits. um, And some of them don't even speak any other language than English. And they're a very sympathetic population and just haven't been able to come together on both sides of the aisle and get something done to offer them a path to lawful status. Uh, Question for Mays, because you mentioned you're a lobbyist in Springfield. Mm -hmm. I do agree with what Kelly just said, that the the dreamers are, at least in my view, a sympathetic population. I think you have to separate them out. I think they have to be treated differently than all the other populations that we're talking about this evening. So once you do that, one of the things that you want to provide to them is uh, more than just a work permit. In my view, I think you want to give them a pathway to citizenship. Now, probably half of my audience just right now went through the roof, turned the radio off, and just, or threw up by my, what I'm suggesting. But it seems to me because this issue is so huge, 
with so many tentacles. Each side, and I mean a Republican conservative side and a liberal uh, you know, Democratic side, each side has got to give something that, that hurts them or may go against their basic constituencies. So my question to you, Mays, because you deal with Republicans and Democrats, could a Republican survive anywhere in the, in the body politic, either at the state or federal level, if they were to come forward and, and, and articulate over and over again that Republicans and conservatives and Americans have to look at the dreamers in a different way, and basically they may have to swallow hard, they may get primaried, but the point is that is part of the solution here. So I would, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to speak on behalf of a Republican especially in Illinois. However, <laughs> what I will say is that I think that uh, our – it's so divisive of an issue right now, and I don't think people really understand the nuance. So I think there would be a Republican that would say it, but it would be so hard to articulate in a 30-second campaign right. spot that they get their butts kicked. And what we, we know the number one rule of politics is self-preservation. Right. So I don't think so. I don't, I don't think a Republican and, – and I think that – the moment that it happened, they'd be tied to Obama uh, because he made the dreamers such a priority. Uh, and that would that is the death knell for a Republican. Could a Democrat survive Kelly Fennell? Could a Democrat survive if they said, by golly, we do need more Border Patrol agents and we need to build a longer, bigger, higher wall? Could that Democrat survive? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I do think that, you know, I mean, there's always been increasingly more money in the budget that goes into Border Patrol and ICE, right? Um, their funding's higher than it's been in years. So, I mean, we've seen increased funding, but what what are we getting it from, for, from Republicans? You, you know, Bruce, I, I would say that, honestly, I do believe, I don't think... I think you couldn't call it the wall, um, but I do believe that a a strong on closing the border Democrat uh, could be successful. Now, I don't think it would be. Do you think the president has just recently come to that conclusion with some of his suggestions and some of Mayorkas' suggestions that maybe they do have to build something else because the, because they don't want to admit this to the public. But again, their, 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 their answer to this question is not working. I don't know that it's the wall. I think, he, I think they will, right at this point, they'll grasp at anything that they can without trying to carry it. I don't think they could build a wall, but I do think that a president, uh, I do think that saying increased border enforcement uh, could be a popular message. Do you think this is a, a re message that resonates? In your me. opinion, is this a real serious issue? Or is it an issue that is being promoted uh, by the conservatives and those on Fox News? No, I think this is a real issue. I mean, I think all you need to do is go to any police station in Chicago. Uh, I have a small store uh, on the south side of Chicago on 55th off of the Dan Ryan. And now that corner, which used to be the place where the little bucket boys and people played, mm -hmm. is now packed with migrants or, or excuse me, asylum seekers on each one of the four corners, and they're squeezing people out. So I, I do think it's an issue. Real Kelly, issue. Kelly, what's your answer to that qu same question? I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Do you think, do you, do you, do you think that the, 
that the, the the Democrats and or this administration is uh, responding because they now know that the policies they have are not working. And and again, part of it is if they're going to if they're going to do something and and build a partial wall, maybe they don't call it a wall. But I mean, the media is already saying that they're doing what Donald Trump suggested that they do. I mean, can can they go far or are they too worried about how their constituents are going to respond to that? Whereas most of their constituents may agree with it. There may be a lot of um, Democrats that agree with that, that don't believe that this policy is working. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of Democrats that would be willing to give some portion of a wall or enclosure. I mean, personally, I don't think that's going to work or be effective. Um, I think building a wall is a waste of money. Um, and there's also some proposals that do cut through indigenous lands and divide indigenous communities, but that's another issue in of itself. Um, but building a wall isn't going to stop people at presenting themselves from ports of entry. What's you know? enough? And I mean, when people are fleeing death. How many ports of entry are there? I don't know the answer to that. But is that the only place where people are supposed to go to do it legally? They're supposed to go to a defined yeah. number of ports of entry where there are there's staff and lawyers there waiting to meet them to answer questions. And anybody that doesn't go to one of those significant ports of entry, then uh, you know they're 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 part of the uh, the underground efforts that uh, we see on television every night. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, ports of entry. Yes. I mean, there aren't always lawyers there. It's usually just going right. up to a CBP agent sometimes to be turned around because you don't have an appointment. Um, but yes, people do cross Ill illegally, not at a port of entry. Like mm -hmm. that also is something that happens. And a lot of that's happening where people are so frustrated by waiting months and months for appointment with cartels surrounding them that they have nothing better to do or well, to save themselves. One of the political leaders that has decided to do something about it, and again, uh, he's, he's cheered by many Republicans and vile, uh, reviewed and vilified by Democrats, and that's the, that's the governor of Texas, uh, Greg Abbott. Uh, and when we come back, I want to talk about whether or not he gets uh, some sort of a prize for, for sending a message to the rest of the political community. Hey, we got a problem, and you better wake up and do it. Whether you're the mayor of New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles, we're, we're sending gifts to you, and you better be ready to deal with that crew. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above.
Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance, early and often, on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's thirty-three point three 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 percent of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my twenty-one person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm gonna take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we are talking about illegal immigration. Kelly Bennell and Mays Jackson join us. Uh, Kelly, a question to you: uh, In looking at this issue and discussing it for umpteen years. Uh, there's always been the belief that the reason why this issue has never been resolved is because of uh, America's love affair for cheap labor, and uh, those that have input in the Republican Party, that's one of the reasons why they haven't solved it. And those same people have input into the Democratic Party. And until you deal with that issue, uh, this issue is just we're going to go round and round like a Right on the trap. Yeah, I mean that's been an issue for a long time, and I don't see that getting resolved. I mean, this started back under the Bracero programs that were happening, I believe, during the Second World War when we did import farm labor. It's our economy is dependent on this cheap labor from immigrants for a long time. Is there anything? Next question: Is there anything that can be done? To to engage the the the, the, tri, the triangle companies countries primarily, but any country, and I guess you could include Venezuela now. Is there anything that the United States can do through those governments to dissuade people from coming to the United States? I mean, whenever you're looking at migration in general, there are push factors and pull factors, right? Push factors being those which cause people to leave. And pull factors being which causes them to come somewhere else. 
So as long as the push factors in some of these countries are so strong, people aren't going to stop coming. So I think that's something you need to address. Mm -hmm. One of the issues that always has come up is the perception that many Republicans have is that all these new Americans or all these people coming to the country with brown skin, they're all going to become Democrats. And no one's argued against that uh, because it takes a long time to become a voter and, and people will argue, well, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, corruption that goes on and maybe a lot of people who have brown skins who are not U.S. citizens are still voting. I'm not going to tackle that because I don't know any answers to that. But my question to you, uh, Mays, um, you now have a whole new group of people coming to the country, Venezuelans, and they're being treated a little bit differently than others because there's an effort to give them a work permit. Yes. Maybe at a, at a faster pace than mm-hmm. others, uh, including those who are have been waiting for a long time. Do the Venezuelans fit that MO, I don't think they do. Well, here's what I what I see, Bruce. What I see is that first of all, we broadly categorize brown people, but there's different distinctions within there. Right. Uh, in Chicago, when we tend to think of the immigrant or migrant situation, we're tending to think in our minds Mexicans, right? People right. from Mexico. I don't mean to offend anybody right. by saying right. Mexicans. No. Um, but what we found is that, and, and so I think when the conversation initially started in the Latino, the Mexican Latino community was like, welcome, welcome, welcome. It was because the immigrants, they were thinking it was them. But now that they are starting to recognize that they're Venezuelans, the Venezuelans haven't just jumped in and said, we're going to be part of this uh, Mexican coalition of political power. Right. So I think that what we're seeing right now is that the Mexican community is now starting to push back against this immigrant community because it's not necessarily going to be on their power base. And Bruce, I just want to push one more thing. You know, you said that they were a lot of Republicans think that they're going to come and be uh, re- Democrats. Right. I would argue that Latinos more and more increasingly, if you get outside of Illinois, are li- are much more conservative, and you will find that they are the same people that supported Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. That ha- because they come from strong dictator type of backgrounds, they find that. And so I, I would say that beware Democrats because you're probably importing people that are not going to, in the long term, when they mm-hmm. get the right to vote, to be on your yeah, team. Yeah, because again, obviously, what one looks at at Cuban Americans when they came to Florida. Uh, many of them, most of them, became Republicans. So all all Hispanics or all Latinos are not created equal. They are not uh, a monolith, and, and they don't they don't they don't think alike. But a question to you would be: uh, since we have a growing number of Democratic socialists that are in the Chicago City Council, um, I think it increases. Will, will, will Venezuelans gravitate to them, or I, I would I, think not. You know, I, I say no, but I would also argue that uh, a lot of people from city council or, excuse me, have gone to Venezuela. I won't, I won't let me not say a lot, but I do know re- read stories of them going down to Venezuela, Venezuela to study, etc. I, I do believe initially they'll be democratic socialists because the democratic socialists are welcoming, welcoming them and trying to take government resources and provide them to all of the people. So I think initially that is where it will be, and we'll see where they go from there. Mm -hmm. Kelly Fennell, we have less than a couple of minutes left. Give me, look into your crystal ball and and give me me the short-term, the five-year vision of what you see. 
Better or worse in five I mean, years? I, that's going to happen. That depends on what happens in November of 2024. Okay. Right now, nothing's getting through Congress with the current makeup of the government. And if, uh, so basically you think it's going to, it's going to come down to the, the congressional as well as the presidential vote? Right. I mean, because the House is not going to pass anything right now that would make it through the Senate. Yeah, I would. And the Senate's not going to pass anything that. right now they that would make it through the House. They can barely get things to the House. I mean, they can't even get a speaker. Right. So give me your, give, give me your, your, your final word. Things will be worse in five years. Will they be worse in 10 years? I, I mean, I, I don't know. It depends on what happens in November 2024. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you see all of these immigration attorneys already very stressed about this upcoming election. Mm-hmm. Can I, I ask know we're not the only ones. One, 30 seconds. Kelly, do you think that the, if they don't get a handle on it, this will drive the presidential election? How, how... I, I do think it, I think it will because you see it as a very divided issue and it's not going away. No, I agree with that. It's not going away. We've got to say farewell. Kelly Fennell, thank you very much. Uh, immigration Good attorney you again, for joining for us me. this evening. And Amaze Jackson will continue with me here in the studio. And in the next hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Todd Benzman. And we'll be talking about immigration studies in a little bit more depth as to what's being done, if anything, at the border to make sure there's not an infiltration of possible terror. Don't go away. back we continue with uh, hour number two of beyond the beltway tonight a recorded edition of our show nice to have you with us amaze jackson uh, continues with me along uh, right next to the wnd microphones in chicago and uh, we are joined now from his home in austin texas uh todd benzman he is with the center for immigration studies he's an investigative journalist uh he's been a man uh, involved in investigation both as a journalist and also uh, actually on the street uh, working with the texas uh, uh, Department of Public Safety, and he's author of uh, several books, including America's Border War, and I love this, uh, the subtitle, America's Covert Border, the untold story of the nation's battle to present or prevent jihadist infiltration. Now, that book was re- written several years ago, but it's probably the hottest topic in the world today, at least with the U.S. national security uh, Todd, so you were receptive in coming up with that title. Um, so tell us right now from your perspective, again, you have spent years looking into this stuff. Um, how worried are you right now that the southern border of the United States or possibly even the northern border of the United States will be used for further infiltration by uh, Islamic terrorists? Well, I'll tell you and your audience what I just told the uh, House Judiciary Committee when I testified about a month ago about this very topic, which is that uh, the, the book Covert, America's Covert Border War really details a series of 
counterterrorism programs that were stood up in the years after 9-11 and have kept us safe at the border from this particular threat. Very effective programs down there that have never been reported before. People ask, well, God, how come nobody's ever attacked from the southern border? One of the answers is because of these counterterrorism programs. But under this mass migration onslaught, millions and millions of people that are just pouring over. Those counterterrorism programs have collapsed. They are unviable. They are not being used and not workable with these kind of numbers. And because of that, my fear is uh, much greater now in that the threat is much more elevated than I've ever seen it. Because the programs that have kept us safe are, are completely collapsed. When we hear of a terror watch list, and there's been reports that 150 people who were on that list have been apprehended at the border, uh, and there's been no speculation as to the number of people that may be part of the gotaway population, the people that made it into the country, could, could you offer any assessment? First of all, who puts that terror watch list together? Obviously, that's the list of who we're looking for. 150 of these people were on that list, but what happens to those that might have gotten away? Any idea of guessing uh, how those numbers might be? Well, first of all, it's it's actually, the number is more like 270 uh, immigrants who have crossed that border have been found to be on the watch list. Mm -hmm. The uh, in, in the last three years, which is when this mass migration crisis began, uh, the way that it's it's an FBI watch list. The FBI Terrorist Screening Center is the keeper of this this list. And the way you get on that is that you have to either be a terrorist, a bomb thrower, uh, involved with support networks that support the bomb throwers, like maybe you're sending money, uh, or you're you're uh, reasonably considered to be somebody who is likely to be a bomb thrower and is involved with all of the guys, these other watch list of guys. Mm -hmm. uh, there's very serious analysis that goes into the nomination process. Uh, not just the FBI can nominate, but Department of Defense can nominate, the CIA can nominate, uh, most of the intelligence community agencies can nominate somebody to be on that list. So all kinds of agencies have people on that list. When someone, your... yeah, when, when someone comes to the border, and, and let's say that uh, we don't know, at least initially, we don't know whether that person is a potential terrorist or not. They, maybe their name is not on that list. But what sort of investigation is done? What sort of vetting is done by those people who, who are going through, the let's say, the asylum process? How do we know that those people have been vetted if the countries from which they are coming from don't have any degree of, of credible vetting? Well, you hit the nail right on the head. That, that's the problem is that with these kind of numbers coming across, there's very little vetting that, that goes on. We, you know, we have the way it works is that part one of the programs is that if you are from one of 35 particular countries designated as a national security interest country, you are that alien is tagged special interest alien and set off to the side 
away from the other immigrants. And then an intelligence analyst or an FBI agent uh, or an ICE intelligence officer will go in and do a face-to-face -face interview, check the pocket trash, do a, a security investigation, a proper security investigator, eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball interview. Uh, and then uh, we run databases and all the rest of that. And uh, if nothing else, uh, we can recommend, if we're, if we're worried about that person, we can recommend that they be deported and not allowed to uh, have asylum. Now, recently uh, there has been publication of a, a list of these suspect countries, uh, and, and the number is, is, was, was over 2,000, at least, that I saw. Uh, and they went by the various nations. There was about 10 nations, and, and the populations of, of those identified as possible terrorists were, were, uh, were added up there. <clears throat> so it's a massive list. But my question to you is, once, once they go on that list, uh, how confident is our intelligence agencies, how confident are they that when they're doing their background checks, when they're trying to vet these people, that those on the on the other end of the trail here, the countries from which they came, that people are being honest with them. In other words, are the intelligence agencies of these other countries intelligent? Are they basically intelligence officers that want to help other intelligence officers, or are they part of the corruption that exists in many of these nations, and they too? They just want to get these terrorists off their land into the United States. Tough question, but... Just backtracking real quick. There are about 75,000 special interest aliens that have crossed in just in the last uh, six or eight months. And, and in a normal year, we might have 3,000 or 4,000 crossover in a single year. And we couldn't even get to interview all of them. 3,000 we can't even do. Yeah. So you can imagine, we're just letting them through. Okay, when, uh, when we come, I got, I got to stop right now, Todd, because we've got to come, we're coming up to a break, but when we come back, I want you to try to tackle the other part of that question, and that is, how cooperative are other intelligence agencies from around the world, how cooperative are they with U.S. intelligence in dealing and rooting out these terrorists? They just want to get them out of their own country, or do they care whether or not they make it to the United States? Bruce Dumont, along with Mays Jackson tonight, this is Beyond the Beltway. Oh. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. 
It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. Back, we're talking with uh, Todd Benjamin. He is author of America's Border War and also another book called Overrun. And again, uh, both uh, are based on his extensive uh, research and, and journalism uh, covering you know, the issue of illegal immigration crimes and everything that relates to those trying to infiltrate the country. And uh, uh, before the break, I asked, uh, I guess, to, an impossible question to answer, but that is. United States FBI and its law enforcement agencies embedding these would-be terrorists. They're reaching out to other countries and they're using them as, as a source of their vetting. How confident are we that those that are being asked to participate at that level are really trying to help us? Uh, or are they just trying to get those bad guys out of their own country? Well, it depends. Uh, Mexico has a pretty good history of working very closely with our intelligence agencies on stopping terrorist travelers and finding them and getting rid of them. And we work in their country. They let us work in their country, in their detention centers. They share intel with us uh, because it's not in their interest to uh, let a terrorist through their territory onto ours. Uh, we we are responsible for about $20 billion in remittance money every year to Mexico. They don't want us shutting the border down because a terrorist crossed it there. On the other hand, there's Somalia, uh, which doesn't have an intelligence service. 
or even a computer system that keeps track of anything. Uh, and we have lots of Somalis that cross in. Syria is a hostile nation. We have lots of Syrians crossing. I don't think we can expect any help from the Syrians. Uh, we don't expect any help from dozens and dozens of special interest countries around the world. They, they are either not interested or they are incapable. Uh, so sometimes uh, we can get an intel share and sometimes uh, they're just, we're, we're just out of luck, as they say, SOL. I want to go. I want to go back to your comments about Mexico because obviously your comments were very positive. It's the first time I've heard positive things about anything related to Mexican government officials and their agencies. Because the the popular perception, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that there is massive corruption in law enforcement in Mexico. They are all part of the cartel, or they work with the cartels. They allow certain things to happen. Um, that that sort of runs counter to your identity, uh, identifying those within the Mexican uh, national uh, law enforcement as being good guys and very cooperative. Where am I missing something, or is there an oversimplification either on your end or my end? No, it's, it's, I mean, you're right. There's a, a tremendous amount of corruption and uh, compromise in among uh, Mexican agencies. But on the question of Islamic terrorism, uh, that topic is held by certain intelligence agencies within Mexico uh, that are less corrupted than others. And also those agencies and the, and the, the central government has uh a vested interest, like I mentioned, the remittance money that comes back to Mexico uh, from the United States, from workers in the United States, is simply too valuable to risk uh, not caring very much about whether a terrorist crosses and does something in the United States. So they, so they a, would, so they would, in other words, they would be more concerned. They, they, uh, Amer you know, hold it up in one second. So, so they would be more concerned about assisting the United States in stopping terrorism, but maybe less interested in helping drug trafficking involving the cartels. Is that a, is that a simplified way of uh, analyzing your answer? I think, that, I think that's completely accurate. Okay. That's completely accurate. Mays Jackson is here. He joins me tonight. He's been taking copious notes and he's got a good brain. So go ahead, Mays. So, well, thanks for taking, thank you. Uh, my question is, when these people get identified and tagged uh, at, at, say, the so southern border as potential of countries of interest, what happens to them next? Why would we release them into our universe? And do we track them everywhere they go once they get here? No, they're supposed to be interviewed. They're supposed to be set aside in a detention center and not allowed out until the FBI gets to them and interviews them eyeball to eyeball, investigates their pocket trash, calls foreign intelligence agencies that are cooperative with us, if there are any that matter, uh, collect as much intelligence from them as possible. But that's in normal times. And if they're clean, if they get a clean bill of health, and they're allowed to bond out and into the United States and claim asylum. 
and go through the asylum process like anyone else. But if there's a problem, derogatory intelligence pops up, they are going to be deported to their home country or a third country, like as in like a rendition. Uh, and that happens inside Mexico's detention centers as well. But Is that's that fast? in normal time. Does that happen fast? Uh, I've been involved in the process myself. Uh, you know, I've interviewed, uh, you know, hundreds of them when I was in the intelligence business. I was part of the system that I'm describing. Uh, it's, it's tedious, painstaking interviewing work. It takes hours and hours and hours to get through an interview with one of these guys. Uh, and then, um, if, if there's a problem, then we would refer them to the next level. They go up to the next level. Some of these guys have gone all the way to the White House situation room, all the way to the top levels of the uh, U.S. government, CIA, and everybody else. And those guys will actually get shipped to a detention center in Virginia, closer to the action where they can people can get at them. Uh, those, those are five-alarm fires. I've seen quite a few of those happen. Uh, but ultimately, all of those people are uh, deported if they've got derogatory on them. The ones that get a clean bill of health will end up in the interior of the country and no, we do not track them after that. It's kind of, we're done with them. We're just going to keep our fingers crossed. But I just want to say one more time that that was when there were three or 4,000 a year coming across. We've had 75,000 in less than a year. In just the last year, we probably have had 200,000 special interest aliens we let them in to the country in one day with no interviews, with nothing. They're they're being released en masse into the country with nothing. Wait, 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 wait. So, so let me jump in right there. Is there a presumption that they have a right to be in the country if we suspect them? So if they get tagged, is there the do they have the presumption that they have the right to be in the United States? It seems crazy. It seems counterintuitive to right. me to let people who we believe are suspect go free just because we don't have the time. Like, let's hold them and figure it out. And then whatever that process is, if it's well, that they important. Have, they, have, they have some rights. Is that what we're dealing I mean, with? Listen, yes. Uh, if, they're, if they're a special interest alien and we go through the America's covert border war programs, which we're not now. And they come out clean, they, they can claim asylum, and they enter that system. All right? They're released. If there's derogatory on them, they're gone. We will deport them. And they do not have, we will not give them the right to fit, to go through an asylum claim. So in mass right now, would we shut down certain countries, could we say? So, like, knowing that right now we're at a heightened sense of, of security. Right. Are we now saying we know we can't control this massive flow, but let us stop. We know these 20 countries, if you come from these 20 countries and you're coming through Mexico, instead of flying right into the United States, do we just pull those people out or are we just letting well, that's what go? That's what Donald Trump said initially. Didn't Donald Trump initially say that if you're coming from certain countries, uh, uh, you were somehow suspect and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people got riled up at Donald Trump. Of course, people easily got riled up at Donald Trump. But isn't that what he tried to do a bit? Uh, well, with some, with some of the countries, he, he picked seven or eight 
that right. are the kind of countries that have like no possible way to do vetting. It's like Libya, you know, right. that which has no government, or Syria, which is hostile, or uh, I mean uh, Somalia, which is there's they, they didn't even have a record system for thirty years, so or a government, but. Those people now are all being let right into the country within 24 hours with no vetting whatsoever, zero vetting. Uh, and, and they're being immediately let in from all of those countries right now and have been for three years straight. But, but there, there's been no investigation of them. I want to, get, I want to, I want to no. clarify what you just said. There's been no investigation of these people who are special, these are special interest cases and they're not being looked into at all? At all. They're, these are, these are, uh, these are special interest aliens that are coming in by the tens of thousands in very short periods of time. Uh, now, I wanna say that just because you're from one of these countries right. doesn't make you a terrorist. It doesn't make you a suspect, it just, it's a way for the Homeland Security establishment to set you to the side so that we can look at you. Because if you're coming from one of those countries, there's a reasonable presumption that maybe you might be involved in terrorism. And we want to know. We want to get you eyeball to eyeball and check you out but more the one, than we would. But the, but, the one, but the one thing we absolutely positively know is those people have not been vetted in any significant way. And yet they're being yes. waved in to the United States. Yes. I'm Bruce yes. Dumont. Yes. We're recorded tonight. Back shortly. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra. An exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundredth time today. Here's that song again. It's gonna be stuck in your head all day. Here's that song again. It will make you cray cray. You love your kids enough to watch that TV show a bajillion times. Yay! Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. 
For more information, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Booster Bonbeck and uh, our guest, the special guest, is Todd Benzman. He is with the Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, Todd, take a moment to give a more elaborated background on who you are and uh, how you became to be uh, such an expert on this subject. Sure. Well, I'm kind of a hybrid uh, uh, sort of uh, professional. Um, I was a journalist for 23 years, a newspaper reporter. Uh, covering national security for, you know, the Dallas Morning News and Hearst News. Uh, and um, I left the newspaper business in 2009 to join the Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division of the Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, where I uh, worked in 10 years doing border security and counterterrorism. Uh, and then about uh, 2018, I joined the Center for Immigration Studies, uh, to do border security uh, for this think tank. Um, while I was working as a newspaper reporter doing national security, I got involved in this topic uh, doing a five-part series in 2007 on special interest alien travel. I uh, went to Syria and Jordan and tracked immigrants all the way through Central America to our uh, Texas border. That series won a National Press Club Award uh, for foreign correspondence in 2008. And then I continued doing that work on that subject for the Texas Department of Public Safety with all of our federal intelligence partners and FBI uh, partners in Austin at the headquarters for DPS. What is, based on all of that, with all that experience that you've had, what is the most startling piece of information that you discovered during that period of time? Oh boy. Well, um, I, I'll tell you this. I've written, I've written a book about this. Uh, and in the book, I'll just, I describe case after case after case of real terrorists who meant us real harm that came over that border and we caught them. And that, we were able to thwart plots and attacks through these programs and get them out of the country and send them away. And I believe that because of these cases, I mean, a lot of Americans have no idea that we've done this, that we, 
that we that the country has been saved many times from terror attack over the southern border. Uh, so I guess that would be probably the thing that you know would be you know most surprising. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a, a Somali, for example, that I recall, and we worked that case who crossed the southern border and had just fled a British dragnet that broke up a real plot over there against the British government. And he managed to get away just a little bit ahead of time and made his way to our border where he was planning to do damage to us instead. And we caught him at the border. And there are lots of cases like that. Right. Well, it's, it, it's commendable to you to have done the research. It's also commendable to the men and women of those agencies who have yes, done the work uh, in silence, all quiet, uh, no exposés, uh, and, and they, have, they, they have kept us safe. But here's my question to you is, in the, in the wake of what is happening in Israel, Israel and, and Gaza, and again, you've talked about there's already been an increase in the number of people attempting to come here. Um, does that become an impetus for possible threats against the United States? Or do you think that the, those that would do that are already involved in trying to plot against Israel in some way? Uh, absolutely on your first point, uh, that it could be the war over there could be an impetus, uh, for, uh, lone offender attacks in the United States by people who in their home countries became very emotionally invested in the Israel, uh, you know, conflict, the Arab Israeli conflict and everything about that. So that, uh, because they're in our country now and we are openly supporting Israel, against its enemies, uh, Hamas and Hezbollah, uh, it, it is, I think, the very heightened uh, possibility that that they could get mad and pop off and do something here in this country um, in an compulsive, Im- impulsive kind of way. There are those, those things that happen. You're in a vehicle and you just drive through a group of people and you've just committed a, a terror attack without a lot of planning. Um, I also believe that it's possible that in this mass migration crisis that people have been brought in on purpose as cohesive cells. This happened in Europe uh, extensively in 2015, where ISIS deliberately sent people posing as refugees and asylum seekers over the EU border, and they conducted the Paris attack of uh, 2015, November, and then the Brussels attack the next month, and many more attacks after that until they finally were all killed or imprisoned. Right. Mace Mace Jackson has questions and comments about that. So, you know, as we, as first of all, thank you again, because this has been so informative. One of the other questions, so I'm, I'm really stuck on this, these, these people that we've identified already, and then we turn them loose. Do we track the migration trends to where they go to and are we watching those areas right so if someone comes in you said these whole cells come in together are they going do we have hot spots that they're going to and are we targeting those locations no we're not they do have hot spots that they go to for example uh, right now in arizona near lukeville is the spot where the, all of the special interest aliens go. Not all of them, but a, a, a huge numbers. Egyptians, Sudanese, 
uh, Tajikistanis, Uzbeks. They're just young um, military age men from those countries, single, are pouring through there uh, into Arizona right now. In Whereabouts in Arizona? Whereabouts in Arizona? Lukeville. Arizona is where you'll find those special interest alien you know where congregations. Luke, you know where Lukeville is? I don't know. No, but is. let me ask a question. So wait, are they going there as detainees or are they going there and they're setting up shop? They're crossing the border, turning themselves into border patrol and being released the next day into the country. All of them. And then they go to these hot spots. No, and then they, they just moved to then they just moved to Chicago. Hmm. Or they move wherever they want, or wherever they want. But um, and and their cells, but, their cells. If they're indeed cells being directed by a foreign nation uh, or a terrorist group, uh, they then plot. They do their plotting. So of course it's not easy. That's what happened in Europe. But there's one other place. Hold that question because I, I want to get this one out. Yeah. In November, I went to Tijuana. There are so many special interest aliens coming now that there was uh, deemed to be enough demand for the creation of a Muslim-only migrant shelter in Tijuana within eyesight of our border wall. And that place is absolutely filled all the time with special interest aliens. I went there and investigated that and wrote a big piece in November of 2022. I looked at it from a national security perspective and interviewed the director of that shelter for a long time about national security issues and the kind of people coming into her shelter. And she, I asked, have you ever been approached by an American or Mexican law enforcement or intelligence official about the people coming through your facility? And she said, no, never. I've never been approached by anyone. Well, is it is it possible that they have that they were using uh, you know surreptitious ways yeah. of, of eavesdropping? Yeah. In other words, I, I wouldn't ex yeah. I wouldn't necessarily expect someone from the FBI to show up and say, "Here, here's my badge. Let me ask you questions." I would would think that there's some uh, eavesdropping or some other uh, detective works that's that's well, being done. You do it both. You, they call it over and covert, so you usually do both. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's definitely no over. Or wasn't up until November, and I wrote my story. Maybe after I wrote my story, it kind of pinged around, and and they, you know, now doing something. But I want to go uh, back. To, I want to go back to a comment you made about uh, basically what I would describe maybe as as the good Mexican law enforcement people who are working with the United States in trying to root out terrorism, and we 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 separated those from maybe the the corrupt members of law enforcement that maybe look the other way when it's related to cartels. When when a presidential candidate says that they're going to perhaps uh, use U.S. forces on Mexican soil to root out drug dealers to cut uh, the influx of fentanyl from China, but talking about almost in, in paramilitary ways, how do you think that plays with these good guys, as you have described them, who are working with the United States to stop terrorism? Well, I mean, if you're the president of Mexico, you're gonna you're gonna consider shutting off all collaboration right. with the Americans unless you've okayed them 
using military force, which they are not going to do. It, uh, it would be very damaging to the um, intelligence relationship there, I would think. On, is on it, that, is it an irresponsible statement, or is it is it just bravado to the to the to the masses? Does it make does it really make any sense, or is this just sort of an armchair response? I I think it's I think it's maybe some political posturing. Uh, there's a lot to lose with unilateral military action in Mexico. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I've, I've been public about that. I think don't think that that's prudent to do that. There's too much to lose. Uh, okay. I would be in favor. Of, we do have to break. Todd, when we come back, uh, we'll let you make that other point. Todd Benzman is our guest, the Center for Immigration Studies, author of the book America's Border War. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance, early and often, on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. 
Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. The book is titled America's Covert Border War, the untold story of a nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration. Todd Besman uh, is uh, with us, B-E-N-S-M-A-N, as the author's name. He joins us from uh, his home in Austin, Texas. Uh, he calls for what was the overrun. He talks about the Biden administration. Todd is... Is the terrorist attack from the south border, is it inevitable? Or do you believe that the men and women of this government agency's agency is, is doing a phenomenal job in place of continued influx of migrants? I mean, I wouldn't say anything is inevitable, but I do believe, like I said, that the risk is much elevated now with this mass migration. We're having 280,000 people a month across that border. We, our agencies are unable to handle even a fraction of that as a national, as for national security investigations. And I would point out that it's so bad on both sides of the border, that this uh, the CBP accidentally released one of the uh, watch-listed immigrants that they caught, even after they knew he was watch-listed by Colombian, they just let him right through into the country and realized the mistake later, and had to track him down. It took him two weeks to hunt that guy down in Florida and bring him back in. Furthermore. They released a Lebanese Venezuelan who was on the watch list on purpose out of an ICE facility because they said, and this was an against FBI recommendation, who said that he was extremely dangerous and a high flight risk. And they let him go anyway because he was overweight and they thought he might catch COVID in him. And that guy is running around somewhere in Detroit pursuing an asylum plan. There was a Yemeni who is freed by the Mexicans in their mass migration. Remember, this is happening on their side, too. That uh, they just they had to flush the detention center. It was too crowded. The FBI never knew about it. And they let the guy go. And I don't know if they ever found that image. Uh, and so there were these mistakes being made uh, uh, with this the whole system with this. And I, I'm just very worried right now. I mean, you mentioned- I'm not going to say it's... You mentioned earlier in the program that you had uh, testified before the House Judiciary Committee. Who were the good guys or the not-so-good guys on this issue? Who who in Congress really gets what you're talking about and is trying to do something about it? Well, I took the rare step. I've testified several times before Congress. And on this one, I took the rare step of actually writing about it because I was— I was stunned by the uh, pointed indifference of the Democrats on the on their side of the dais to what people like I like me were saying, and Rodney Scott, the former chief border patrol agent, 
about this issue, terrorist travel and how the interviews aren't being done and how we're, 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 you know, letting them free and that there was this, a big case, uh, 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 ISIS case where they were going to bring four over the border to kill president Bush. And we were, we were giving them real information and analysis and they turned away and, and studied their phones and they were chit chatting with each other and we're not paying any attention at all to us. If something does happen, I, I hope somebody goes back and shows that video of what they were doing during our testimony when we were warning about this. Mays Jackson has a follow-up. Quick question. You know, we talk about these migrants being bused throughout the, throughout the country. Is, is, is Governor Abbott spreading a cancer throughout the country? Because I, I think we all automatically think uh, Venezuelans, but as we put all these people on the buses and scatter them throughout the country, is this also detrimental to spreading this cancer around the country, in- increasing our opportunities for terrorism? That's a good question, actually, but um, because it gives me a, an opportunity to point something out about Greg Abbott's busing. Nobody is put on that bus. Nobody is forced onto any buses. The way it works on the ground, I've been there right at the buses, uh, is that if you happen to be going to Chicago, Texas will give you a free bus ride. They won't charge you. But you're going to go one way or another. We're not, there's no forced busing happening. That sounds like a very oh. Texas narrative, though. I, it does seem like a very Texas narrative. Well, it but, I, but I mean, I would argue, what I would argue, Mays, is that instead of looking at it in a negative way, I would look at it in a positive way. What Greg Abbott has been able to do by these busing programs is he has alerted the national news media based in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles. Now everybody is talking about it. He's basically saying this is a national problem and it shouldn't be the responsibility of one governor or one state to deal with all of this information and to deal with this chaos, especially if they're not providing funding to help support it. So I think the fact that he's he's raised the visibility and got the attention of everyone, including us. I mean, we, we watch the 10 o'clock news in Chicago every night, and it, it's all about what's happening in Chicago. And the people in the city of Chicago, in this alleged sanctuary city, they don't want these people. So there there is there's political unrest that's that's brewing. You know you know that it's brewing, and hopefully yeah. it will result in some congressional action at some point in the future. On that note, we are out of time. Mays, thanks very much for joining us tonight for the, for, uh, for the full two hours. And also, uh, Todd Benzman, I want to thank you very much for joining us. You've been with us a couple of times in the last few weeks. Uh, the book is called America's Covert Border Wall. That's the one book. And then the the other one is about the administration of, uh, called Overrun. And that's how Joe Biden has basically unleashed uh, this uh, these problems on America. Todd Benzman. He shared his intellect with us this evening and his information. We thank him very, very much. Fritz Coleman made this program possible. No phone calls this evening. We were on recorded. We were recorded. However, we'll be back live next week. Until then, this is Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. 
Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.